What an exquisite musical introduction to this season. Bell, so good to have you with us again, and, and that last piece was just spectacular. Happy Advent to all of you. It is good to welcome you to this celebration of the coming of Jesus and the soon coming of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Cindy and I returned from a uh, road trip down to the desert, and we decided to make the last leg of our run from Salt Lake City in one day. Ah, it's no problem. We got there. We were doing fine 12 hours in. We were going strong until we came to the exit to Highway 18 at North Bend. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me what was going on there? How many of you tried to get off of 90 onto 18 in recent days? They're doing some sort of construction. It is a mess. I am not exaggerating. It was a mile-long backup just to get off of Highway 90, uh, Freeway 90. A mile long. We sat there. We drove in, sat behind. Ten minutes, we didn't move at all. So finally, in my utter despair, because remember, it's 12 hours and counting, I asked some woman on my phone, Miss Google or somebody, to, to guide us through the back streets of Issaquah. That was a terrific, terrific idea. Uh, I was completely at her mercy. It was dark and it was rainy. I had no idea where we were going. And so if Ms. Google said, take this left on this sketchy back road, okay. I obeyed her and kept going, trusting that sooner or later, in spite of the darkness and the lostness of it all, we would go home. The prophet Isaiah, I know you were wondering, where is he going? <laughs> the prophet Isaiah... Is, is like a sanctified Ms. Google <laughs> at a time when God's people were lost, in exile, trapped in darkness, hopeless. God spoke through Isaiah, and He promised them a way home. And more importantly, Isaiah gives us a glimpse of God's ultimate deliverance in a Messiah who would come many, many centuries later. No Old Testament book has more to say about Jesus than the book of Isaiah. Did you know that? It is sometimes called the fifth gospel. Isaiah is the fifth gospel. Christmas Eve, we will start our service this Christmas Eve in the same way that we have done for every 37 Christmas Eves that we have had since I've been here. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Where does that come from? Isaiah chapter 9. When Matthew writes, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who was he quoting? Isaiah chapter 7. When Mark introduces the ministry of John the Baptist, whom does he quote? Isaiah. Who does Mary quote when she sings her great song of praise? The Magnificat. Isaiah. Isaiah is the Christmas prophet. Our Christmas carols are sprinkled with quotes from Isaiah. Handel's Messiah is chock full of quotes from Isaiah. Many of our Advent readings come from Isaiah. So we thought this Advent, we're going to turn to the original source 
the gospel writer who wrote about Jesus 800 years before he was born. This Advent, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Luke. Actually, we're going to flip the script because Luke will still be woven in through our Past our services, as you saw earlier from the reading of our Advent, but we're going to flip the script a little bit. We're going to turn to our original source. It will be about it will be Advent from the perspective of the Gospel of Isaiah, and we're calling it the joy of every longing heart. And this morning, as we kick off Advent, we start with one of the deepest of human longings: hope. Say hope. Don't we long for hope? Isaiah chapter 40, he speaks in Isaiah 40 to God's people in exile. They are in Babylon. They are prisoners of war. They are hopeless. They are desolate. But I want you to listen to the tenderness of the words that come from Isaiah, the fifth gospel. Turn with me to chapter 40 of Isaiah, beginning with verse 1. Listen to these words. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. This is the Word of the Lord. We are approaching, incredibly, the two-month anniversary of October 7th, when Hamas terrorists invaded Israel, butchered civilians of all ages, and captured more than 200 souls to leverage as pawns in their ongoing evil game of psychological warfare. How can it be possible for us to imagine the terror that these captives have experienced as freedom is dangled cruelly before them, withdrawn, and then offered again? And that evil, I think you would agree, has been multiplied as we watch protesters in our wicked and worthless universities Why would we send our children to these places who have flipped the script, who have flipped the script, turning the victims into the villains and calling for a return to the kind of anti-Semitism that we have not seen since Kristallnacht in Nazi Germany? 
But the Jews have been a people under attack for all of their existence. And back in 586 B.C., that's a date that you ought to memorize, 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire invaded Judah and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and tore down the city walls, and they took thousands of Jews into captivity. They marched them hundreds of miles into a forced exile in Babylon. So imagine the despair. All is taken from you, and you are carried away to another land. The the exquisite pain of that exile was captured in one of the Psalms, Psalm 137. This is a Psalm written while they were in exile in Babylon. Part of it goes like this. Listen, alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks. We cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. Alongside the quaking aspen, we stacked our unplayed harps. That's where our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking. Sing us a happy Zion song. Oh, how could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? It was one of the darkest moments in the history of God's people. And the prophets warned it was coming. Isaiah warned it was coming. He cried out to the Jewish people and to the Jewish kings to change their ways. He warned them what would happen if they did not do that. For 39 chapters, he warns them. Near the end of his life, Isaiah is still warning them as he speaks to King Hezekiah. He says, if you don't repent, Babylon is going to invade, going to destroy your country, going to steal away your people. That's chapter 39. Here's where it gets odd for us. There is a space of 200 years between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40. 200 years elapsed as Isaiah continues to look into the future. By the time all of this transpires, he is long dead. But by God's grace, he inspired him to write these words of comfort. Everything he predicted has come true. The Babylonians came, Jerusalem was destroyed, the people were dragged into exile. All was lost, it seems. But God is not done. 200 years before this transpired, before God's word was fulfilled, God promised that he would one day return to Jerusalem. He would rebuild their city He would rebuild their lives. 200 years before it happened, through the prophet Isaiah, God offers his exiles hope. And what is his message of hope to these exiles? Well, you just heard me say it, but I'll sum it up with this. He says, your God is coming to save you. Your God is coming to save you. He has not forgotten you. Your God is coming to save you. Listen again to verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. On our road trip on I-15, as we were coming back, it took us through some pretty rugged regions at wonderfully high speeds. I remember driving through Arizona, I looked ahead of us, and I saw this huge mountain with a massive V cut right out of the middle of it. Mountain, V, mountain on the other side, and right smack through the middle of it. 
was this highway that went perfectly flat, perfectly unobstructed. It was astounding, the engineering behind that. That is exactly what Isaiah is describing in the passage I just read, this massive highway building project, a super highway, really, one that is going to be wide and straight and fast and flat. You imagine this army of workers who are carving off the tops of mountains and and then filling in the valleys, cut and fill, cut and fill, so that this ancient superhighway can be completed. And here's the punchline of this. Who is that highway for? Who is that highway for? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make a straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah says, this is the king's highway because God is coming to you. He has not forgotten to you. He's coming to you, to those hopeless exiles who were trapped in a foreign land by brutal kidnappers. Israel, Isaiah promises that God will not leave them there. He is coming for them. In spite of their circumstances, he says, there is hope. God is coming, he says, and the hope is echoed again in verse 9. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. Behold, behold, behold. It is a very Bible-y word, isn't it? We don't often say behold. But it means look. It means see, literally. See your God. Isaiah says, see, your God comes with power. See, your God who rules over all things. These are words of hope to those in exile. He says, you are in captivity. You feel powerless. The gods of the Babylonians seem invincible. The culture seems unstoppable. But don't you believe it? See your God. See your God comes with might. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. God is coming and He is powerful. And that's exactly what happened. Fifty years after the Jews were kidnapped, Babylon was itself conquered by Persia. And the Jewish people began to return to their land and, as Isaiah had foretold, to rebuild their temple, to rebuild their wall, Ezra, Nehemiah, and to rebuild their lives. God kept His promise. Of course, this is ancient history, isn't it? What real difference does it make to us? Well, beloved, I would dare say we desperately need to hear Isaiah's proclamation of hope in a fresh way this day, because we too are exiles. We too are strangers in a foreign land. It started in the Garden of Eden when our first parents were cast out because of their disobedience. They were exiled, but that estrangement has continued down through human history, even in places that seem that seem pleasant at times. Places like wonderful America, there are times when we are reminded of the truth. This is not our home either. We are exiles. Things are not as they should be. We are far from God. We are strangers, as it turns out, in a foreign land. And this is one of those seasons, I think, in the course of human history when we are increasingly prone to this despair. Do you sense it? The mood of the nation is down. Polls are negative. We lament the collapse of our culture, the collapse of morality, 
the collapse of our legal system, the collapse of our educational system, the collapse of our economy, the collapse of trust in our government and its institutions. We see storm clouds gathering from China, from Russia, and many of us are asking the question, are we in the end times? My answer is, I don't know. It certainly feels that way, doesn't it? And we are certainly closer to the end than we were one year ago. But even if Jesus is not quite ready to return, we are painfully aware that things are not right, that we are strangers, that we are exiles in an increasingly antagonistic world, which means Isaiah has never been more relevant to us than this moment. The comfort that he offers, the hope that he offers, we need desperately to hear the gospel of Isaiah. And the amazing thing about this prophet is not only did he look ahead 200 years to Israel's captivity and deliverance, he was inspired to look ahead 800 years to God's ultimate deliverance, the deliverance that we celebrate in this Advent season, Messiah Jesus. Do you remember how Mark opens his gospel? You may not remember. He cuts right to the chase. No Christmas stories for Mark. He cuts right to the chase. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Who was that voice that Mark foretold? Who was that one that was crying in the wilderness? It was John the Baptist. And who was the Lord? Who was the God whose arrival he announced? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And remember again what Isaiah said, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He says, behold your God, behold he who comes in power. The Jewish people had a glimpse of their powerful God when He delivered them from Babylon as He had promised. But the ultimate declaration of God's hope and deliverance comes from the lips of John the Baptist when he shouts to all humanity, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the King we have been waiting for. This is the deliverance we have been waiting for. This is the hope we have been waiting for. John cries out, Behold your God. If Isaiah is right, if John the Baptist is right, then what ought we to do about it? Especially in this season when so much darkness seems to loom so large. What do we, the chosen people of God, what should we do about it? Well, here's one thing you can do about it. We can shout hope. We can shout hope. We must be an Isaiah to our generation. The Lord told Isaiah to go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Lift up your voice, beloved. Lift up your voice with strength. In other words, I think he is saying, shout hope. Don't be timid. Don't be meek. Don't be negative. Shout hope. I don't think I've ever heard more Christians speak with greater pessimism than what I'm hearing today. We listen to podcasts. We listen to news channels. We listen to politicians. We listen to preachers. We listen to negative, despairing, hopeless propaganda, and we begin to believe it. 
We begin to repeat it. We become heralds of bad news. We focus on what is so obviously wrong with our world. We begin to live as functional atheists. You know what a functional atheist is, right? It's a person who claims to be a Christian but lives a hopeless life as if there really is no God. We mope and we gripe and we behave as if the gods of this world, the gods of secularism, the gods of wokeism, the gods of genderism, the gods of militant Islam, we believe, we behave as if they have the real power. We need to believe Isaiah when he says, behold your God. And then we need to repeat that message of hope, not meekly, not cautiously, but boldly and powerfully and confidently. Go on up to a high mountain, Chapel Hill, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Chapel Hill, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, and say to the cities of America, behold your God. We sang a song last week, and I loved it. I'd never heard it before, and the refrain went like this, Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Beloved, we need to be heralds of hope. We need to let loose the lion that is inside our lungs. We need to let him roar out hope. Behold, our God has come. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord of all. However hopeless things might appear, this king is on the throne. Whatever the worst is that this world and the Lord of this world might throw at us, Jesus laughs at it all. This Advent season, I challenge you, to begin speaking as if you really believe this gospel. When those around you to start to focus on the bad news, the gloom, and the doom, and the despair, you respond back, behold your God. When the news channels try to disturb and frighten you, you talk back to the TV, behold your God. And when you find yourself thinking that everything depends on who gets into the White House next November, remind yourself, no, behold your God. I challenge you this Advent season, you, Chapel Hill, be heralds of hope. And so we will begin with a feast, the season of hope. We will begin with a feast that commemorates what seemed like the worst of news, the breaking and the bleeding and the killing of the Lord Jesus. But now on this side of the empty tomb, we lift up bread and juice and repeat Isaiah's words, behold your God. This is my broken body for you. This is my blood shed for you. You who were exiles, I have delivered you. So live into that hope. Behold your God.
Advent is not just about celebrating the first coming of Jesus to the earth when we said, Behold, your God, Emmanuel, God with us. It looks ahead to the second coming of Christ when all things will be made right. There's a passage that talks about a time when the lion shall lie down with the lamb. Remember that one? That's also Isaiah. And so this man who got a glimpse of what was coming in 200 years and a glimpse of what was coming in 800 years also got a glimpse of what is coming at the end of our time when all things will be made right and when the King of kings and the Lord of lords will reign. That is part of what Advent is about. And so we celebrate that hope even as we live in a season of exile. We speak hope. We shout hope. We declare hope. One way that you can do that is the way you spend your money. We'd invite you to our festival of hope, and, and by those purchases, we are going to breathe hope and life into people who have much less hope than we experience here in this land. Following the service and every service, there are folks who would love to meet in the prayer chapel. If you have any needs that you would like prayer for, they would love to do so. Pastor Julie will be in the back, and she will meet you. Uh, don't forget to pick up a reminder to glow, which is next week. I promise there will be more sound at that time than there was at the announcement. And all of this, all of this is only possible because of the Spirit of God that is at work in us. So why don't you raise your hands up for the ultimate expression of hope as we receive the gift of the Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace both now and forevermore, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's hopeful people said, Amen. Amen.